Hi, everybody. Welcome to the official RBYA podcast. We hope that whatever content we bring to you, whether it be messages or interviews or whatever else it may be, we hope that it would be edifying, that it would help you grow in maturity and in faith and the, in the knowledge of God. And we also hope that you stick around for any future announcements or updates. We hope you enjoy. We started off on Friday putting this obscure verse that I did on purpose, Matthew 17, the very end of it. Because in that little verse, that's so obscure, nobody can pick up anything, it talked about almost everything that we talked about here. Having faith, Peter had to have faith to go get that fish. It talked about the possibility that these disciples were young teenagers between the ages of 13 to 19, except for Peter, because only him and Jesus had to pay that temple tax. According to Exodus, those who were 20 and older. We talked about that and the purpose of that on Friday, by the way, because every generation needs a band, a group of young believers who can identify themselves, come together. You might be stuck in a church where you're by yourself. You're the only one who loves God, loves the Word of God, wants to get deeper. Every single time you talk to someone, they want to talk about everything else but the Word of God. We have guys that I'm so proud of in our church that we go to Taco Mac. It's funny, we go together, we have wings, we talk about basketball, football, that kind of stuff, and we will most definitely start talking about theology and scripture, and there's always that group that leaves. But there's a group of guys that I have that can talk about this stuff. Maybe your church, you don't have that. That's how you come here, and you meet others, you talk, you try to find out. You create a band of disciples together. We're going to be the next generation with Slavic, and is going to have children, won't be able to come here. We'll be the next generation. We know each other, we know. We love God, we love the Word of God. On Saturday, we ended up talking about what is faith, assurance, and what we hope for. Hope deals with the future. Hope doesn't do with the present or the past. Hope is for the future. What do you hope for tomorrow? To get home. What do you hope for on Tuesday? To go back to work, to school, or whatever you have to do. What do you hope? By next year, I want to finish school. By, hope, by next year, I want to get married. I hope for having a house, a car. You hope. Assurance for what you hope for. Conviction for what you don't see. That is what faith is. We talked about how faith is a gift from God. It starts from God. Initiates from God. It's a gift. You can take two twins. Both of them hear the gospel. Both of them hear the preaching of the word. One of them believes. The other one does not. It's a gift from God. We talked about how who's the object of our faith. Jesus Christ. The ultimate revelation. Everything's about him. Everything points to him. I can talk about general revelation. If you look around nature, just like, oh, man. It's pointing towards an eternal God, a creator, a designer. We have special revelation, which is the word of God. And we talked about how the Bible is the basis of our faith. Christ is the object. And the Bible is right there because all the words of Christ are in the Bible. The promises of God throughout history are in the Bible. You can't live by bread and water and all that kind of stuff. We live by the very words of God. In other words, the words that come from his mouth. I need it. I'm hungry. Hungry, whatever it's called. That I, I want it so bad. I long for it. I need it or else I'll die. So all the stuff is built up to this very important element that today. Contending for the faith. Contending for the faith. In the Bible, it tells us in John 8, 31. 
So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, that word that we're talking about, the base of our faith, you are truly my disciples. And then in 1 Timothy 4.16, this is very important, 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will be safe, you will save both yourself and your hearers. What is it talking about? You've got to have a right understanding of Scripture. You've got to get into it and know it. Theology is crucial. Doctrine is crucial. Doctrine deals with teaching. You're in the doctrine of this church, doctrine of this church. Do you know doctrine? The study of God and how he wants you to interact with him. And all theology. By the way, theology is the study of God. I'm praying that all of you guys become theologians. I want to know everything about God. Your destiny depends upon it. Next year at this time, there might be one or two of us that might be six feet under. If I have time, I'll show you three that I know of that are. Three personally that in January of 2021, they were three six feet above the ground. And right now they're six feet under. They're younger than me. All theology must come from the one source, which is God's revelation. The greatest gift that we have right now is the Bible. There's this idea that you can have something else. No. It's all revealed there in the Word of God. That's what we're going to talk about contending for the faith. And so if we go, the key verse, if you write it down, it's in Jude 1.3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. There is no other revelation. If it's not in the 66 books of the Bible, God didn't say it. Ooh. Do you know Judas' book? We're going to look at it very quickly. And before I want to show you this picture, my brother went to Turkey, and as he was flying, and he came into Turkey, he bought me a rug from Turkey and all that kind of stuff, and he told me this. He did it like European. This was when he was a teenager, young. Um, Ariel, the mosques are amazing, bro. They're absolutely amazing. This is a picture of a mosque. Gorgeous. Everywhere. Everywhere. You go a couple blocks, another one, another one, another one. In Turkey, you don't understand. If you know anything about history, this was a hotbed of Christian activity. This place, during Paul's time, the gospel was being spread. Christianity was everywhere. What happened? Please tell me. What happened? It moved from there. It moved to Europe. Exploded in Europe. It was there, all over the place in Europe. And Europe is dying. It's got churches that are dead. Now it's in America. We must be okay. They just released a report last week that Christianity has decreased by 6%. They thought that after COVID, people will get closer to God. No, no. Gone further from God. 6%, big drop. And they say, do you know which generation is causing all this? You guys. Your generation. At this rate... In the next 20 years, it doesn't look good. Christianity in America is going to get eventually like Europe. 
eventually, like Turkey. Contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Quickly, Jude 1. One of the things I like to do is to, when we do study the scripture, is to exegetical. I'm going to do this as fast as I possibly can. Because Jude is one of these books that's so neglected, no one talks about it. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, this is very important. Who is Jude? Let me tell you who Jude is very quickly. We know that he is the brother of James. James was the leader in Jerusalem. Who is James? Jesus is half-brother. That means that Jude is Jesus' half-brother. And he says, I'm a servant. You don't understand this. If you know about history, if you look at this, Jude and James both, before that weekend, that weekend that changed everything, they were not believers. Them and the whole entire family did not believe that he is the Messiah. And then the resurrection happened. I don't understand if you guys understand that. My children, they'll fight over, over stuff. And you guys who have brothers, you don't understand that. Any one of you guys will call your brother, will stand up right now and say, my brother is master of the universe, is God Almighty, is Messiah. Anybody willing to do that? Absolutely not. But that weekend changed everything. The resurrection weekend made Jude and James followers of Jesus Christ. They call him Jesus. Christ is not his last name. Christ means Messiah, anointed one, the one they've been waiting for. To those who are, look at this, this sequential order is very important. Nothing's for accident, by accident. Those who are called, that's how it starts. So you know, this doctrine of calling. Two things are happening here. An inward calling and an outward calling. Outward, faith comes by hearing, hearing what? The word of God. You got to hear the word of God. The outward call. Simultaneously, there's this inward call that occurs. Something inside of you. Illumination, you want to call it. You want to call it a light goes off. Something just, is it you? An inward calling. Look what it says next. Beloved in God the Father. Oh, I love that. The only reason why you're beloved in God the Father is because of the Son. Because of Jesus Christ. You're called, then you're beloved. And I love the next one. In Hebrews it says to us that Jesus is the pioneer. Another word is originator. Another word is author and perfecter of your faith. The originator, the one who initiates, and the one who perfects it. If you're one of his, you are kept. He knows the sheep, and he knows them by name, and you are never going to be lost. I dare you to read the end of Romans. There's nothing. I dare you to read it carefully tonight. Nothing. Read it very carefully. They'll separate, separate me from the love of God. Nothing even says the hand of man, including my own hand. Nothing will separate me from the love of God. Nothing. May mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Anybody in here who's called, beloved, and kept for Jesus Christ, raise your hand. If you're a Christian, I hope you raise your hand. If you're not, we'll pray for you tonight. Okay, good, because the next part's for you. Here we go. Beloved, that's all of you guys who raised your hand. 
although I was eager to write to you about a common salvation. In other words, I was planning to write to you about salvation. Beautiful topic. The gospel. The thing that unites us. I found it necessary. There's something going on in Jude's time that is so important that he finds it a necessity to write about something else. And here it is. To contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. What was going on in Jude's time? That it made him to change his entire topic from talking about the gospel. The gospel, for crying out loud. Wonderful topic. Nothing more than Christ and Christ crucified. That he changes and says, we need to talk about this thing about contending for the faith because there is things entering, false teachings, false doctrine. If you're a young believer, I love it. We had Chris Byers gave us give access to the American gospel. And I was gone, and our youth showed at our church. We had these like really young believers that were there. <laughs> they all went home, and it disturbed them a little bit. Because you had one pastor calling out another pastor. Because in their little small brains, naivety, naivete, whatever you want to call it, Christianity, this wonderful umbrella, and everybody's just wonderful. If you go to Lifeway Bookstore, and any book you close your eyes, and any book you pick up, it's got to be Christian. It's got to be good. I can read it. I can grow in my faith. When they discover, no, bro, this umbrella that you're thinking about, there's a lot of people that claim to be Christians, a lot of them in the name of Christ. But a lot of them is false. Watch your doctrine so you don't lose your salvation, so you don't lose your faith, so you don't become a shipwreck, it says. Who's teaching you? For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designed for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Who are these people? Here's a comprehensive list of the biblical passages that instruct pastors to cast vision. There they are. Do you see them? All the Bible verses that talk about casting. We're going to have a vision Sunday where we cast vision. Do you see them? They're all there. Do you see them? Because there isn't any. Uh-oh. This is one of the verses that I remember that I grew up hearing it. And these guys got it from TBM. They knew exactly where they were getting it from. Where there is no vision, the people perish. But he that keepeth the law, happy is he. So you take this verse out of context and you twist it. So I'll take this verse, throw it up. And guys, we're going to have a vision statement and a vision Sunday where I will tell you the vision of our church by using this verse. Where there's no vision, the people perish. I remember so many people that would come to me and say, our church doesn't have a vision, we need to have a vision. And I always like to tell them, yeah, the vision's in the Bible, it's 2,000 years old. Go therefore, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then teaching them. Yeah, 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 but you don't understand. We need to have like a vision that's more specific. That is more specific than that. We can't make it. I get the, about having a strategy and plan. We do it at work. Meetings where we talk about, but don't take the word of God and try to twist it for your own. Man-made, the pastor or whoever it is, is criminal their own vision for that year. Do you know what the Bible verse actually says there? The Bible verse says this, where there's no prophetic vision. And another version says, where there's no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blesses the one who heeds wisdom's instruction. If you're not following the word of God, it's saying, Getting divine revelation. God's giving it to you. Man's revelation is not what's talking about here. It's God's revelation. Divine revelation. We all know this. We're not going to show the videos. There's too many to show. For young people who are between the ages of 13 and 19, does everybody know what prosperity gospel is? Kind of. This speaks volumes. 
You get spiritually rich, and then you'll get financially rich. Eight steps, steps to create your life you want. An anatomy of a successful life. You want to have a successful life? I'll give you eight steps. Ah, interesting. The cross has become, and if you know how it's done, uh, I'm not going to spend hours into it. Why is the prosperity gospel so dangerous? It's all about your material wealth, your success, your fame, your health. Technically, it's all about you. The greatest source of happiness is what God can do for you. God is like a vending machine. You put your money in. He's a genie in the bottle. You pick whatever you want. Sometimes I wonder, I put those three in so I can have the last one. If I were to go into your rooms when you guys are praying and listen to your prayers, what are the prayers about? Are you guys, you think about your prayers. Are you not having a little bit of that prosperity doctrine in your prayers? Because it's all about you, man. Are you praising God? Praying for Nathan and his grandfather. Are you praying for others? Or it's always about you. Listen to your prayers. It's all about your source of happiness. I want you guys to play a video. Play the one with Will Smith, if you don't mind. Devon Franklin recently interviewed him. And he just came up with a movie. And just played. And listen very carefully. It's subtle. Because the prosperity... Sorry, go ahead. 25 years that I have known you, right? Everybody that knows that you play a role in my life, yeah. in the church, yeah. the number one question, they're like, yo, is, is Will Smith there? Is he my I'm like, yes. Okay, so but I want to tell I want you to you from the church. You know, you're a man of faith. You can't you get, love the Lord. You can't get where I get if you don't love the Lord. Exactly. You, don't, you don't get to sit how I sit and move how I move if you right. don't love the Lord. Stop. Exactly. Yeah. Stop for a second. Just leave it there. Just don't move. Don't move. Don't move. Just stop it. Don't have to press. You hear what you said? If you love the Lord, to be like Will Smith, you can't get to the place where he's sitting, which is what kind of place? Money, wealth, success, fame, everything, if you don't love the Lord. Are you picking up on that? I know tons of people that love the Lord that are crippled. Nathan, does your grandfather love the Lord? He's in a hospital bed. I know many people that are minimum wage that love the Lord. I guess they didn't get to that position, that Will Smith position. Continue playing. <laughs> He's got to laugh. Man, this movie is for sure. My my favorite movie is yours. You know, and obviously we get to see the happiness. You know, and done a lot of other films, but this movie, you embodied this character. Like, and I didn't see any of you in him. But here's the thing I thought was so amazing. To me, this movie is one of the most faith movies that I've ever seen. What? There's a scripture that says, you know, faith without works is dead. And faith is the substance of things we hope for and evidence of things we don't see. Wow. That's beautiful. Didn't know sense. Right. His daughter had never played. Mm-hmm. He created an 85 page plan. <laughs> Take note. You gotta do this. What was going to happen, and it did not veer until it manifested. I wrote me a 78 page plan for the whole career before they was even born. The chances of achieving the kind of success that you're talking about is just very, very unlikely. Two years before they were born, Miss Orstein was a. Was a 
What in the world? You guys know this movie? Who are they talking about? Serena and Williams. What do you guys know about them? Tennis players, but what? No, no. I love that. Deeper. What else do you know about them? They're best in the world. Okay, and more than that. What's their religious background? What's their dad's religious background? Jehovah's Witnesses. First sign, not good. Jehovah's Witnesses. Do you notice what he said? Something very important, because you can be Jehovah's Witnesses, you can be Christian. And there's something that has slipped in between the cracks. You'll see even most, a lot of these, well, they'll take it in the form of Christianity, whatever it is. This law of attraction. Words used like manifestation. The guy's playing Aquaman. What's his name? The guy who plays Aquaman. He just got divorced. He's broke up from his wife. Look at what he posted about the universe not coming into place. If you understand how these people are successful based on the law of attraction, which all comes from like the prosperity doctrine, that God is out there, this universe, there's this faith. They use the word faith like we use it. No, they don't use it like we use it, the biblical faith. The faith is a force. It's a box that you can tap into whenever you want to. That God is limited by this faith. You have faith in the faith, in this Jedanite force, you want to call it. And you just got to get your alignment, that faith, that box, and pull it down. That your mind is so powerful that you can do whatever you want in the universe. To be successful, have wealth, have fame. Such a dangerous teaching. And Christ says, prosperity God doctrine will talk to you about money, success, faith, being successful. Look what it says. More than I, I will consider everything to be a loss. Everything is a loss. In view of the surpassing value of what? Say it out loud. Of what? Knowing Christ. I want you to have faith. Faith on the object, which is Jesus Christ. Not a blind faith, not a faith of our imagination. No, my faith is based on Jesus Christ. He's the object of my faith. Knowing Christ. Everything else is a loss. Just to know Him. He said these words. And they did not veer until it manifested. What is going on here? This is the Williams family, Jehovah's Witnesses, the law of attraction, which teaches, the law of attraction teaches that, I can't see with all my glasses, sorry, that like attracts like, and when you think and feel what you want to attract on the inside, the law will use people, circumstances, and events to magnetize what you want. The life of your dreams, everything you would love to do, to be, and have, will always be closer to you than you knew because the power to everything you want is inside of you. I mean, it sounds good. Some of this is not captivating and like wants you to pull towards that. By the way, I know what you guys are thinking as I'm reading this. Ariel, but yeah, but the guy wrote that script, what Williams was going to happen two years before they were born. And it happened. They're the greatest tennis players. So if it happened to them, maybe I should do it for my kids. How come they were successful, Ariel? Please tell me. By the way, just real quickly so you can see. The law of attraction has, this is all the nonsense. 
Focus on being grateful for what you already have. Say thanks to, say thanks to the universe. You'll never see mention about Jesus Christ at all, anywhere. Okay? Close your eyes and visualize. In fact, what they tell you is that if you want to get... Guys, I'll teach you this. If you want one of these girls in this room, go to your mirror and visualize. Close your eyes. Get her name. And keep saying it. See yourself married to her. Keep saying it. Girl, don't talk to the girls. Just keep saying it in the mirror. Because the power is in you, boys and girls. You know, boys. And look at this. The last part. The universe will manifest your desires. You'll see it in the book, such as The Secret. Ask, believe, receive. And they'll use scripture verses in this book. So dangerous what they're doing. You'll see it in this guy. If you guys know who this guy is. Very popular. All the big corporations use him. About visualization and the magic. And he's into this law of attraction. Create your reality. Oprah Winfrey, she has her Sunday where she had Carl Lentz and all these guys come in and talk about it. And they're all under the umbrella of Christianity. They all have a faith. All of them. This is a book, Should Christians Be Manifesting? I asked you guys, but Ariel, it happened to Richard Williams. He wrote, and it happened. It must be true. How is that possible? There was a, that guy, the devil, who brought Jesus to the top, and he said, I'll give you the kingdoms of this world. What gave him the right to say that? Why does he have? How come he can say that? If you just bow to me, if you look through all scriptures, I always like to ask this question. Where was there more demonic activity? A, before the flood or after the flood? Before or after the flood? When, when there was more demonic activity, like crazy demonic activity? Before the flood or after the flood? Think about it. Before. If you look at that Noah, I was talking about, look from Genesis, that God looked upon the earth and there was nothing. Everything was polluted and only Noah was found among the earth. Okay. After the flood, which is that period of time from flood all the way to Jesus Christ, demonic activity versus after Jesus Christ rises from the dead, dies in that great weekend that we talk about. Where was the most activity? Before Jesus Christ or after Jesus Christ? Before. If you look in Job, which is considered the first book of the Bible, just look at this. In Job, there's this weird, Job gets, the story goes, which is considered one of the first books after the, you know, the, the split Genesis and all that. You get Job written down, and it says this, that the devil goes to God. You know the story. And it says there that when the kids were all gathered in the house, a wind comes. Well, we talked about that God did not send that wind. God's not the creator of these kind of, did the devil have the ability to bring a wind that tore down a house? What was going on there? This is before Jesus, before all that. What kind of power and authority did the devil have on this earth? All we know is this, is after the death and resurrection, his power was even more knocked down. But the devil still has some authority. I always wonder when I see people that are, like I call them, you see these events where they're just, everything is, you start wondering if Tom Brady... So successful. Is it possible that Tom Brady, is it possible that there's a force behind him? Some people are like, yeah, we're not from Boston. 
or wherever they're not from. Whenever man gets the glory, there's something there that's not right. We as Christians know what the scripture says. My glory will not give to another, Isaiah 42. Then it dates all pointing. The glory has to go to Jesus. We also know what it says in John 3 for Christians. We must increase. What does it say? No, we must decrease and he must increase. All the glory goes to Jesus. Here's something else, another doctrine that I want to talk about real quickly. Modalism. And the reason why I touch on modalism, and I want to see anybody in here who knows what modalism is. One person. Three. Okay. Anybody else? Okay. And this is a funny story. I went to a church uh, in North Carolina, and I was doing Sunday school there, and I remember that I asked this question, what is modalism? And I remember that I had those look, you know, in early in the morning, the glassy eye look. No one's really paying attention. So I made the mistake of normally those who know me, I'll start off with like $5 and say, okay, for $5, tell me what it is. So I asked, does anybody know what modalism is? Nobody said anything. They were quiet. So I said, I thought, you know, these are kids. They have no idea. For $100. And also this guy with his hair all kind of messed up, sleepy looking, like, raises his hand. I looked at him, I was like, this guy doesn't know. Go ahead, tell me what it is. He starts describing, well, it's, it's where you take and, you know, the Trinity is not really, it's one, it's one God and they just put on different, uh, 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 it's like, for example, you've got God the Father and he dresses up like the Father, then you've got God the Holy Spirit, he dresses up like the, uh, the wife in the relationship, you know, and then when he needs to take that off, he'll dress up like the son with his hat backwards and he's playing the son role, and each one, it's just one, but they're playing different roles, right? For those, that sleepy guy was Christian. Bias's brother, Nathan. I looked at him and I said to him, I said, who are you? And he goes, Nathan, what's your last name? Bias. Where are you from? California. What church do you go to? I go to Bethel. And he's really sleepy because I didn't know. He was from California. He was, time zone was different. And then he says, I said, sometimes I go to MacArthur's. And then I was like clicking dots. Oh, I get it now. Had to give him $100. Modalism. The doctrine that the persons of the Trinity represent only three modes or aspects of the divine revelation, not distinct and coexisting persons of the divine nature. Do you find the Trinity in the Bible, yes or no? no? Bravo, no. That's why these guys are happy. This is one of the greatest arguments you can go with. If you go in any chat with Islamic people, they'll sit there and say, there's no word Trinity in the Bible. You guys, this whole story about the Trinity doesn't make sense, that doctrine of the Trinity. Where do you find all three? In one place, not in all three of them, together in one shot of the, of the, of the Bible, in the, screen, in the scene of the Bible. Where? Somewhere else. Jesus got baptized. Matthew, look at this. And Jesus was baptized. Immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw, what? The Spirit of God descending like the dove. That's the Holy Spirit. And coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice. Another, so all three things are happening right here. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Did you guys all know that? Please tell me yes. Where else did you see all three of them? No. The last commandment of Jesus. What do you say? 
Go and baptize them in what? In my name only? In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Did you know that right there? God exists as three persons. Each person is fully God. There is one God. Do you guys know this? This is an important doctrine. If you don't know this, you can have a person like this come to you. Do you know who this person is? T.D. Jakes. He's considered a modalist. Most of you probably don't listen to him. Do you know who's very close to him? In fact, this person I'm about to show you considers him his mentor. If you study, and again, if you study people, and he says, he actually starts preaching like him and talking like him and does conferences with him. Our friend, yeah. Stephen Furtick. Do you know Stephen Furtick is? Yes. Don't drop the mic conference. Do you know what this is? Elevation Worship, which is part of Stephen Furtick's church. It's all connected. It's very interesting. You know the song, right? Graves into Gardens. Dun, 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 dun. It's that great rhythm. Boom. Ba-da-da, boom. Boom. I mean, I, I like that rhythm line. That music leads you to listen to Stephen Furtick. You start listening to... What T.D. Jakes says, I want you to play a Stephen Furtick video if you don't mind. Listen carefully. Tell me if this is dangerous. I never met. I always thought that her healing started when she touched his clothes. But I read verse 28, put it on the screen, and I found out that the bleeding stopped because she... She heard, she came, she thought, she touched, and it stopped. God said to tell you, you can stop it with a thought. You can stop it with a thought. All caps, I can stop it with a thought. I can stop it with a thought. It's not stronger than me. I can stop it with a thought. I am not my issue. <laughs> See, you've been going through what you've been going through so long, you think the issue is you. But you can stop it with a thought. I mean right now. I mean right now. The darkness that has overwhelmed you. Help me, Holy Spirit. They don't believe me. You can stop it. <laughs> With a thought, not. You have such power to manifest with your thoughts. Dangerous teaching. A stepping stone in a wrong direction very quickly. And Jude says, be careful. Contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. What should we do? Stephen Furtick, by the way, Went to a Baptist seminary. And one of the things that I always sell to people, you know why people get rid of their, for example, if you always find out, if you want to go to church, they ask them, what church about this? Someone wrote a question, how about Hillsongs? I always tell them, always look to see where the pastor went to seminary. There's a reason why a lot of churches get rid of their titles nowadays. They'll sit there and say community church. I was in, uh, where was I? I was in uh, California, uh, Texas. No, California. And we wanted to go to a church in Sacramento and out of my brother's neighborhood, when we were he lived in Sacramento, and I remember that there was this church, it was called like Riverside Community. And I was like, man, we gotta go, let's go check it out, it's right out of your neighborhood. Ariel, 
it's not what you think. It's, I forgot what it was, some false teaching. He goes, they changed their name, and even if you need to check their websites, you don't see it. They'll come there, and they'll be so presentable, they're so kind. You have to try to find out. You have to dig a little bit deeper. Who is that person associated with? What is that music linked to? Because you can get hooked to the music, start listening to the sermons. Before you know it, you start figuring out, what am I listening to? A prosperity doctrine. A law of attraction. Things that are not in the Bible. There was an image of Kenneth Copeland I put up. He was notorious as one of the prosperity doctrines. Put up for the sake, just that woman who, do you guys know who Kenneth Copeland is? I remember when we had some people that, I know someone who actually told me that he bought all the books because he loved him, and then he realized after spending quite a bit of money, the guy is a, a, a fraud. Put up where you, you guys, we're about to have a, a, a storm here hit us. Do you know that you guys should be able to, one of us should be able to start speaking and stop the weather? Who's got that power? Go ahead and play where we should be able to control the weather. Make it louder. Go from the beginning. Ken's the primary weatherman at our house, but when he's not there, I do it. He can see what's happening out there. So it's just like they have on at the weather, like on the news. I mean, he's got the computer, got the front weather on it and all that for flying. So uh, sometimes I'll hear something. I'll hear the thunder start. Maybe he'll still be asleep. And I'll say, Ken, you need to do something about this. And knowing that, but you are the one that has authority over the weather. One day, Ken and Pat Boone, we were in Hawaii at their house, and we were, they were sitting outside, and there was a weather spout out over the ocean. And that's like a tornado, except it hits the water. And so they were sitting there, and they just watched it, rebuked it, never did anything. One day, I was in the airplane in the back, and my little brother was in the back with me, and Ken was up front flying. It made that airplane so cheap for me, I couldn't help but This fly. is Kenneth Copeland. We were not in the weather, because we don't fly bad weather. But we, we could see the weather over here. And I looked out the window, and that tornado came down just like this, down toward the ground. And Ken said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. You get back up there. Would you ever say I did? Well, this is how I <laughs> And that tornado went, even while I was watching him, my little brother was not a devout Christian at that time, and that was really good for him to see. So you're the weatherman. You get out there, or the weatherwoman, whichever it is, and you talk to that thing. You tell it, you're not coming here. I command you to dissipate. And you get back up there in Jesus' name. <laughs> I'm going to go quickly. You guys laugh, but I guarantee you that in this room, there's some of you guys who are listening to this stuff because they're on the main channels. And um, TBN, Daystar, thank God that we have technology now with YouTube. You can get stuff without having to go to those main channels to be able to because, you know, to, to sign up to that. And with technology now, a lot of these people can create their own podcasts and get stuff out. And we're not dependent upon those uh, forms of media. But let's keep on going. I don't want to, I want to get to the scripture. I do want to say this. Beware of narcissism. You can't insert yourself into every, any and every verse of biblical narrative and make it about you. That's not exegesis. That's narcissism. What does that mean? If you go to church and... On Resurrection Sunday, instead of being about the greatest weekend, 
what Jesus Christ did and how he rose from the dead, it's all about you. That you need to roll that stone away, whatever is keeping you from getting out. Don't do that. Don't listen to that sermon. For those who don't know, eisegesis and exegesis, when you look at it, this is stuff that they learn in seminaries. The interpreter makes the scripture say what he wants it to say. It's eisegesis. In other words, you put yourself in the text. I can take anything, and it's all about you. Like I was talking about David and Goliath today. You're David. Extinguish those Goliaths in your life. Or exegesis. The interpreter makes the scripture say what God has to say about it. I don't have control. Yeah, I just real quickly, this is something I just want to show you, just highlight. The word of faith, gospel, positive confessionism, where you can see this law of traction. Name it, you claim it. Faith is a matter of what you say more than whom you trust. We're talking about faith, belief, and trust. They'll teach this. Faith is a force that both God and man can use. Look at the language that's there. It's like electricity, gravity. They operate independently of God's sovereign will. You guys understand how dangerous those words are. God himself is subject to these laws, turning faith into a God. Faith's force is released by speaking words. God created by speaking. You are in the image of God. That means you are God. You can create by speaking. Three, man is a little God in God's class. Little G's. Anyone can use this force. It doesn't matter if you're Christian or non-Christian. An occultist. This positive force. You get what you confess. Only by mouth confession can faith power be released. They actually said, never make a negative confession. The tongue can kill you. So don't ever say that your daughter or son are sick. Ever. Even if they're in the hospital, don't say it. I know a few families that I know who actually are... They're Christians. But because of this teaching... They follow this stuff. Just look at this. This is a whole thing. I'm not going to... Look at the very end. What do Christians believe? We believe that God alone is infinite. He has positive... Uh, we have a positive attitude. Yes, it's good to have a positive attitude. But because we trust in God, not because we believe in positive thinking, what do we know? That the devil himself in Genesis 3 said, you shall be like a God. When these guys are coming and telling you little G's and you've got the power, it's almost from the pits of hell. This is what the devil did in the garden. You shall be as God. Christian's hope is in the Lord, not in words, not even in our own faith. And you can read on there Psalm 33, 21 through 21, 20 through 22. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us even as we hope in you. Remember, our hope is in Christ. He's the object of our faith. Our faith comes from God, Ephesians 2, 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not your own doing, by the way. It is a gift from God. Hebrews 12, 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We rely on him. We look to him. This is what's dangerous. We're going to finish with Jude. We need to have discernment. In 1 Thessalonians tells us this. If you're a young Christian between ages 13 to 21, you guys might have not seen, it's like, ah, you know, it's kind of like we've got to be positive. Everything is fine. You've got to have discernment. And that means testing everything. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. In 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, 
Do not believe. This is so important. Listen to me carefully. Every spirit, but test. Read, test, examine. The spirits to see whether they're from God. For, well, look at this. For many false prophets. Back then, there were many false prophets. There was a problem in Jude. You think it's gotten better or worse? Worse. Have gone out into the world. So we go back to Jude 1.3. We're going to finish. We're going with Jude. Just some highlighting some things. As to what we need to do, what do we need to see? What is Jude teaching us? Contend for the faith. Defend the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This word of God is so important. Anybody who tries to add to it, not good. Once for all delivered to the saints. What do false teachers teach us? What will they do, in fact, to try to trick us? They'll mix a little bit of truth with heresy. That's why it says, for certain individuals in Jude 1.4, whose condemnation was written about long ago, have secretly slipped among you. You don't even notice them. They're like sheep, sorry. Wolves in sheep clothing. They come, they present themselves. They're so dangerous. They secretly slip among you with false teachings, false doctrine. 2 Peter 2.1, but there were also false prophets among the people, just as there were false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who brought them, who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. This is what they are. What else does false teachers do? They live an ungodly lifestyle. Look what you told us. For certain individuals whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you, they are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God. Ungodly people. Do you remember I told you guys that just this past week, a guy from what church was it again? Who, who identified it? Uh, who helped me to identify? Um, Hope Church. Big hotshot. On December 24th, he had to close his account. He was caught being unfaithful his wife in the last year two years there's a laundry list of them you guys know who Carl Lentz was everybody knows you know who he was in fact Time Magazine mentioned him as the most there's a word that they used I'm gonna be very careful how they use it the sexiest disciple of Christ because he was so good-looking unfaithful to his wife Ungodly people. What else do they do? Pervert the grace of God, giving people a license to sin. If they can sin, so can you. It's perfectly fine. Look what it says in Jude. They're ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license for immorality. And then, of course, you can see what's going to happen next. They deny that Jesus is the only way to heaven. This is very important. When you start seeing this, when Carl Lentz goes on Oprah Winfrey's, or Carl Lentz goes to anyone in the news, or you name it, Joel Osteen. I can show another video where they ask him directly, why don't you preach about repentance? Why don't you preach about it? In fact, play that video if you don't mind, Johnny in the back, with um, Joseph Prince and with uh, Joel Osteen. Do you see that there? Watch this. They're good. You know, what are you experiencing with this? You know, and I'm going to come back in a few moments and talk about you know, just what turned it for you, what, what paradigm shift happened to you that released you 
to do this, but you're getting the same kind of response, aren't you? Yes. People need and, and want. You know, the word repentance, uh, like Joel said, is from the Greek word metanoia. Good. Which literally means change your mind. Good. And uh, every time, like Joel or, or me preaching the word, without using the word repentance sometimes, but people's minds are being changed all the time. From thinking this way negatively to thinking positively. From depression to having a positive expectation of good. You know, repentance is going on all the time in Joel's church, in my church, and hopefully in the future. Did you guys hear that? Repentance is metanoia, true. Changing the mind, true. But what? From what? From thinking negatively to what? Thinking positively. That's positive confession. Think positive. Any mention of sin. That means you guys, whatever you guys have been doing this week, in your own bedrooms, on your computers, according to him, continue doing it. You have a license to do it. Just think positive stuff. We're being negative. By the way, even us having this conversation, what's going to come in, this is too negative. Good job. Jude is telling us the word of God says, contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. They deny that Jesus is that. Look at this. Deny Jesus Christ as our only Lord and Savior. False teachers will also elevate dreams or private revelation. That, remember I said that Christ is the ultimate, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1, the ultimate revelation. In the old, we had like bits and pieces and God to reveal in dreams and theophanies and talk through a donkey. But then Christ comes, the ultimate revelation of God himself. You want to see God? You see in Jesus Christ. All the plan of salvation is there. And the Bible is where everything is taken into account. It's the Word of God. We get all of Christ revealed. We get all the words of Christ in the Word of God. But when people in our time, after we have the revelation of Jesus Christ, in our time today, people are elevating dreams. I'm looking these. We did open mic one time at our youth. And I remember that when we first did it, I had about three guys come up. I had a dream. They were like, okay, what's your dream? And you start telling us this dream. And they're like, okay, what do you want us to do? with that. Dangerous waters or private revelation. God told me. Do you know how many people came and told me, Arl, I, don't, I don't think you should go to law school. Arl, I don't know if you should marry Zanfita. I, 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 God told me. God told me. Be careful. If that what the Bible says, yeah. But and you start telling me something that you have a private revelation, you're adding to the Word of God. You're adding to what the Scripture has to say. Sorry again. On the same level as a written Word of God. That's why I'm not here to bash, just pay, play the Beth Moore. People, why people have a problem with Beth Moore. She was a good, you know, like she, people had a lot of respect. And I'm not here, if you have their material, that's fine. In a room, whatever. Um, but look what she said. This is the problem that I have with what she said here. This is the heart of our study. This is the heart of our study. Listen carefully. What God began to say to me about five years ago, and I'm telling you, it sent me on such a trek with him that my head is still whirling over. He began to say to me, I'm going to tell you something right now, Beth. The boy, you rock this one down, and you say it as often as I give you utterance to say it. My bride is paralyzed by unbelief. My bride is paralyzed by unbelief. It's making a sound that her audible conversations with God, that's what she's claiming, elevating her teachings to be directly from God in the same manner as the biblical authors. 
all those biblical authors, it says in 2 Timothy, all the scriptures God breathed. Boom. There's not their thoughts and imagination. They were, whatever the Holy Spirit's revealing to them, they wrote down. Hillsongs in 2000, I remember it was 14, they tried to release an album and they did a Twitter and they said, our album is God breathed. Does anybody have a problem with that? Thank God there was good guys who responded quickly. No, it's not. It's not the same level with the word of God. Take those words down. Why would they try to put their album at the same level with the word of God? Why? Because then they can introduce other teachings and make their moral standard that. The word of God is the biblical standard. Anything else is lower tier, way below that. And we always test everything by the word of God. It's the highest supreme authority. In Jude 1.8, in the same manner, on the very same way, on the strength of their dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority, and heap abuse on celestial beings. In Jeremiah, I've heard these prophets say, listen to the dream I had from God last night. And then they proceed to tell lies. How long will this go on? If they are prophets, they are prophets of deceit, inventing everything they say. Do you know what's crazy? In the Old Testament, these guys took this stuff very seriously because they didn't have, like we have now, the complete revelation, once for all delivered to the saints. In the, if someone came and said, God said this, Okay, go ahead and say it. On this day, blah, 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 blah. Thank you. Do you guys take note? Good. Come with me, sir. Come and they quarantined him. Put him in an, a, an environment away. Stay there. When's the date? On July 22nd. Okay, stay there until July 22nd. If it doesn't happen, do you know what happened to that guy? He's done. And there was fear in the tent, in the courts, in, 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 in Israel, for anybody who came and said, Ashav Rebesh the Domnur. Imagine if you were to do that today. We were talking last night. Also false teachers is someone who is not under spiritual authority. I was talking to these guys. We were talking about some people who try to, they have no elders or deacons. They have no one. There's no one that is, they're under any kind of spiritual authority. Very dangerous ground. Look what it says in Jude. In the very same way, on the strength of the dreams, these ungodly people pollute their own bodies, reject authority. I just found out from talking to a very close friend of mine that was in California who, I mean, this was crazy about it. Uh... Someone that we looked up to in California, a pastor, and, and we followed his church, and awesome material, just sound biblically. My friend doesn't go to his church anymore because what he did, two things he found out. Uh, he took the word of God and he twisted it. He had a special, they were trying to raise funds, and what he did to try to get money, he spent the entire sermon trying to raise funds, and he took the word of God and he just twisted it. And he's like, I know the guy knew better. He knew what he was doing was wrong. He goes, I can't let that stand. So he approached him and said, Pastor, I know, I know, but we got to raise money because we're trying, we need millions and millions of dollars. Like, That's not right. And then when he said, can we find out more about the transparency of the funds? He found out that the guy was, there is no transparency. It was just him and a few people, and he was, you know, uh, the other pastors that were underneath, and that's it. There was no one else, no authority. When he asked for no response, rejecting authority. Next slide. And the false teachers will teach for greed and seed theology. Look at this. Jude 1.11, what sorrow awaits them? For they fall in the footsteps of Cain, who killed his brother like Balaam. They deceive people for what? For money. I always tell people, we live in a world that money speaks. Follow the money. 
Second Peter says this, if they're greed, they will make up clever lies to get hold of your money, but God condemned them long ago. That's me. In California, laying down on the grass. Do you guys know where this is? Anybody from California? What beach this is? It's near Laguna. I was hoping that from that house, there's this teaching that they teach that if you lay down on a dead bone, you know, if you guys knew how much crazy stuff that's out there, you guys would be, you know, just, that if you want to get the anointing of the person before him, the legacy, like if there's a, let's say, Fratle Popovich, okay, those in Atlanta, Bethel Church will teach that you got to go and lay down on the tombstone and whatever's there, the anointing will come upon you. And that's what they do. So I'm laying there in the grass. You know what house that is? No, it's not John MacArthur's. <laughs> Dirty dog. That is Benny Hinn's. It's right at the beach. Beautiful front property. I have no problem with people that are successful. But I just know how he's... And I just watched so many. And I remember, you know, how he's lied and twisted the word of God. We talk about T.D. Jakes, about the modalism. This guy, you can find videos where he says that there's nine gods. Three, three, three. And the way he talked, and I was like, how do these people listen to this guy? And no one called him out. Conclusion, I'm going to go fast. What do I hope for you guys? Content for the faith, most delivered for the saints. When I found out about these guys in the Bible, it got me excited. And I'm praying that all of you guys will become Bereans. Who are the Bereans? They were Jews who are of more noble character. In other words, these guys, they're identified in Acts by Paul as being of more noble character. Why? Than those in Thessalonica. There's some other Jews over there, but these guys are better. They're more noble have noble character. Why? For they receive the message with great eagerness. First of all, they're taking the word of God, the gospel, with great eagerness. They're accepting, they're listening. And then they do this and examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. They tested it, read it. They're not just going to take. Do you guys understand that? Paul, who wrote so much of the epistles in the New Testament. I don't know if you guys understand that. I'm a nobody compared to Paul. How do you know that I'm not lying? If Paul were to come up here, you pick your fit. John MacArthur, who it is today, that's comparable, you know, even close to Paul. Paul is saying, I love these guys. Because they're not going to take my word for it. If they hear me preach, they're going to take it and examine the scriptures to see if what I'm saying is true. Proverbs 2, 1 through 5. I'm going to read this. And then I want, um, I promised I was going to do this in the last session. Look what it says. My son, if you accept my words and store my commands within you, turn your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, indeed. If you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding. Johnny, let's use some of that smoke and lights, if you don't mind says in Proverbs 4, and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure, then you'll understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. I don't hear anything, Johnny. This light show is not happening. Not so loud, Johnny. Bring it down. We didn't test this out really well. 
little bit softer, Johnny. My prayer for all of you guys is that you'll make this, after you leave from here, a quest. It's not going to be easy. There's going to be a lot of people at the base of the mountain, like right now. Many who claim that they can and willing and long for it, long for the word of God. But as you start going up the mountain, many will drop. Doctrine is not hard to follow. Doctrine is hard to follow and to explore. Nobody wants to put in the hours of study or listening. I would rather listen to music. I would rather do something else than contend for the faith. Do not be content with mediocrity. Mediocrity Bible studies, mediocrity preached from the pulpit, so-called Christians who have no desire, don't spend time with them. Keep climbing. You will be alone a lot of times. The air is scarce up there. Higher and deeper into the word you get, the closer to God you're going to get. The more you grow in understanding. This too loud? Huh? No, that's not me. Okay, turn off the music. Didn't work, did it? No. We didn't have the right lights and show and fog machine. Next time we're going to use it, right, guys? Can we get it? Woo! <laughs> this quest is going to take all of your life because you're never going to reach until you get to leave this earth. That's how much there is to learn about our God. Each scripture, once you think that you know it, there's so much more. By the way, if you're in a church and you're like, I'm not getting it, I don't understand what the pastor's trying to say, take that word. Read it eight times while you're there. Read that scripture again and again and pray, God, what do you want to say to me through this word? Have reverence, fear. This is the word of God coming from his mouth. God breathe. Keep climbing because as you grow in the knowledge of God, you get deeper into his word. It'll increase your knowledge, but it'll also change your life. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. Oh, this is only for preachers. Each one of us is supposed to be a priest. Romans 8, I love this. Remember I told you Romans 8, 28, you find it in all the mugs, all the t-shirts. But no one talks about 29, which is the actual goal. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, yes. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And here's the purpose, here's the goal, here's the will of God. That each one of you, to be conformed to the image of his son. The reason why we want to grow in the knowledge of Christ. The reason why Jesus is the object of our faith. 
is that the time that we have on this earth, we become in the image of Christ, more in his image, in order that we might be the firstborn among the brothers and those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he also justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Why is it important to grow in the knowledge of Christ? Why is it important to know Christ? Remember, I finished with this verse. Now, this is eternal life that you may know the one true God. I told you guys, there were some people that passed away. All three of these people I knew. One of them in August in our neighborhood, RJ. Graduated from high school in August. Didn't find a job like most of you. Yes, he had hope. Hope to get to college. Hope to probably get married. Hope, hope, hope. Deal with the future. All things that seem to be nice. Took a gun to his brain and pulled the trigger. The guy in the middle. On December 22nd, guy who was 40 years old, his body was shutting down. Went to the hospital, liver, kidneys, everything was going. Even when he was in the hospital, they found in his pocket little bottles of Jack Daniels. He's an alcoholic at the highest level. We said, what would happen if, if someone dies and can he be a transplant? Let me tell you how it works here in America. If someone dies right next to him and has the perfect kidneys and liver and everything else here in America, if you're an alcoholic, guess what? You're never going to get on the list. They don't give you a second chance. They're not going to waste a liver and a kidneys on a guy who's an alcoholic. They won't. They told him he had about two months to live. They can get on a machine and two months, three days later, he was dead. Didn't make it. The gospel was presented. And then we have someone else, Darius. The age of 20, I believe 28, 29, on, right after Christmas Eve, was found dead. Why do I show you these three? Remember I started off by saying that the disciples were 13 to possibly 19. A band of possibly teenagers. Except for Peter. And they spread the gospel. They brought hope, this faith, the truth all around. We have people that we know, that you guys know in your environment. Texas, Philadelphia, you know it. That need to hear about Christ. That need to hear about hope. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. I'm praying that each one of us has faith in Jesus Christ. And if you don't, come and talk to me and Chris or Slavic tonight. And why is this important, this hope? Because in 1 Peter 3.15, it tells us this. Sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready. All of us should be ready when we leave from here. Tomorrow, to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is within you. Can you tell anyone in your social friends, all the group of school colleagues, can you tell them about the hope? Do you have that hope? Can you tell them about the hope? Think about it tonight. If you don't know the gospel, I'll share the gospel with you tonight. Come to me with, tonight. I'll share with you the gospel. I'm hoping that each one of you guys will preach the gospel to yourselves. You should know it. Let's pray. Dear God, we know how to put a veneer. We know how to come to winter camp. It's like long-distance dating. 
We only see each other once a year. We come together for a three-day weekend. We know how to put a smile and be kind and open the doors and be generous and be loving and hugging. and We know how to take those steps on the outside, but inside, we're questioning. I hope, Lord, that we're questioning if we even know what the gospel is. If someone were to ask us, what did Jesus do for you? Would our answer be, I don't know. That's a hard one. Lord, we know that faith is a gift from God, that Jesus is the originator, the author. We're praying, Lord, that the Holy Spirit would move. If there's anyone who's just playing with God, that they become serious. We don't know if next year we'll make it. Maybe our picture will be on the wall as well. We have friends that we know who are not believers. They've rejected Christ. Help us, Lord. Give us the confidence, the boldness to be able to bring this hope, to tell them about our faith, be able to explain it to them. What is the gospel? What Jesus has done? Who's the object of our faith? How we follow him? How we want to be Christ followers more than anything else? We take the last commandment and we make it our first priority. Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and teaching them everything that you've commanded us to teach. We follow you. You're the object of our faith. Lord, we want to ask you that as we leave, we go deeper into your word. We want to put the word of God higher, have a higher view of it. We value it. It's God-breathed. Our faith is not a blind faith. It's based on the scripture. It's based on the promises of God. It's based on the word of God. Help us to become Bereans. When our colleagues, our parents, or even we turn on the radio or TV, we're bombarded by teaching. Help us to test it, test the spirits, test what's coming out, the doctrine. Compare it to the word of God. And if it doesn't pass this ultimate test, to throw it away, to ignore it. It doesn't matter if it's coming from my own lips. From a pulpit, I'm praying, Lord, that these young men will become Bereans. They'll examine the scriptures, go deeper. They'll fall in love with the word of God. They'll fall in love with you, the lover of their soul. We thank you for this weekend. Bless each one. In the resurrected name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.